This is the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. We come to you in the name of Yeshua the Messiah, the Son of the Most High Yahweh. Tune in each week to hear teachings directly from Scripture, focused upon believing in the Father, His Son, and the holy and righteous law of our Creator. At the end of this broadcast, we will give you the web address whereby you may contact us for further scriptural information. Well, good evening, everybody. This is Brother Matthew again for another time to study our Heavenly Father's Word. We've been talking about the Word in relation to modest apparel and all that it entails. We're going to get right into our study tonight because we ended last week talking about the clothing that Yahweh considered to be modest and how that in general people today in society in 2013 are not really the least bit concerned with dressing modestly. People actually think that you are ridiculous or you are old-fashioned, outdated, and you need to keep up with the times if you believe that we are supposed to dress in modest apparel. I believe that the biblical standards outweigh time, culture, society, anything that you could think of. The biblical standard always trumps everything else. We've learned in the past two sermons from the Bible that the Bible teaches that we should be adorning modest apparel in our everyday lives when we're out and about, and we should represent our Messiah, Yeshua, in this regard as lights in a dark world. But what I want to cover tonight is the issue of breeches, trousers, and pants. And I have to cover this issue because it stems off of last week where we discovered, according to Genesis 3, verse 21, that both Adam and Eve were given the same type of garment to cover their nakedness. Adam was not given a pair of pants, a dress shirt, and a necktie, and Eve was not given a dress. They were both given robes or tunics to cover their nakedness. And what a tunic is basically is a long shirt-like garment that hangs anywhere from above the knee to down to the ankles. And the reason that the tunic is important is because the tunic covers over modestly the midsection. And I did end last week, and I know this may seem strange to a lot of people, that, Brother Matthew, you actually wear tunics? And yes, I do. But I want to encourage you, even if you don't see that deep into the issue of modesty now, I believe that's the truth about modesty, but if you don't see that deep into the issue of modesty now, then I would just encourage you to, before you buy clothes or make clothes or before you put something on your body, try your best and ask yourself, is this modest? Is this appropriate? Am I shining forth Christ? Am I shining forth His will and His word with the clothes that I wear? Based on Genesis 3.21, we have to now turn to the issue of pants. Seeing that male and female were clothed with the same article of clothing, then who are we to say that pants should be considered the garment of a man. Now we're going to veer off the subject of modesty to some degree. It's still related, but I have to deal with this because I have to head off argumentation that stems from many people in Christianity that believe 
that pants are a man's garment and that dresses are a woman's garment. There are large denominations that believe and teach that it is a sin. It is an abomination for a woman to wear pants. Now, in this teaching today, I am in no way diminishing from what I taught last week in regards to tunics. However, I do not believe that pants are the garment solely of a man. I believe pants are a neutral garment that can be worn by either man or woman so long as the appropriate modest garment that is the tunic is worn as well. There is nothing that is sinful about a woman wearing pants. The idea that we have in our mind that pants are only the garment of a man stems from a modern culture in which the American symbol that you see on all of the bathrooms shows one figure that is in a dress and another figure that is not. And we associate that dress or that skirt with the garment of a woman and we associate pants with the garment of a man. Now there's nothing in the Bible that would lead us in that direction. Let me say that again. There is nothing in the Bible that would lead us in the direction of associating pants only with man and dresses only with woman. As a matter of fact, if memory serves me right, the word in the King James Version, the word skirt, is used somewhere at 13 or 14 times. And don't quote me on that. I could be off by a time or two. But the majority of the time in the King James Version that the word skirt is used, it is in reference to men and not women. And that is because men in biblical times wore tunics or robes, something that would be more akin to what we would consider a skirt today. Now, you're probably thinking, boy, this is really getting more strange and more weird the more that Brother Matthew talks. Sometimes, though, truth is stranger than fiction because our minds have been polluted with ideas and thought patterns that are just not biblical at all. So, some students of the Bible do point us to five uses of the English word breaches in Scripture. And these uses are in Exodus, Leviticus, and also the book of Ezekiel. People that use these particular passages will proclaim that they prove that breeches or pants are specifically for men. However, I don't believe that that's letting the Bible interpret the Bible. And the reason is because each passage under consideration deals exclusively with the garments that the Levite priests were commanded to wear at designated times. Now, granted, the priests were men. They were not women. I agree with that. But there is not one place in sacred scripture where breaches are said to be pertaining to men in general. The priests were likewise commanded to wear a girdle or a belt. Leviticus 16 verse 4. Uh, but does that automatically mean that belts 
are only for the male gender? See, for us to make such declarations about breeches and pants or belts is just adding to the word of Yahweh. Furthermore, the breeches are mentioned in the list of the set-apart garments which pertain to the priest. Leviticus 16, verse 4. I'm going to read it out of the King James Version. It says, He, speaking of Aaron, shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with the linen mitre shall he be attired. These are the holy garments. Therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. Now, the breeches had a specific use for the priests, just as the other garments mentioned. And these breeches were to, one, cover their nakedness, and two, prevent them from sweating. The breeches were hardly comparable to the common man's pants today. This is something that a lot of people completely leave under the rug or unnoticed. Yahweh describes them as extending from the loins to the thigh. Exodus 28 verse 42 will show that. Now, this is comparable to today's underwear or boxer shorts, which at the furthest would reach to the top of a man's knee in some cases. In most cases, it wouldn't even reach that far. Now, if we're going to say that breeches are the apparel of a man, which the Bible does not say, then we would have to say that a woman could not wear underwear, undergarments, or even shorts under her dress according to the modern traditional interpretation of texts like Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. Do you catch what I'm saying? The breeches that are mentioned in relation to the Levite priest as holy garments, if we're going to say that's the garment that pertains only to a man, then that garment was underwear. You will then have to say, if you allow the logic to pan out, that a woman cannot wear underwear, because Deuteronomy 22 and 5 says, a woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man. I don't believe that's the interpretation of Deuteronomy 22 and 5, but in order for you to be consistent on the breaches argument, you're going to have to make that jump. I think making that jump shows the silliness of the argument. Now, let's consider Exodus 28, verse 42 in more detail. It says this, Thou shalt make them linen breeches to cover their nakedness. From the loins, even unto the thighs, they shall reach. Now, in my life, I've encountered some who, in trying to maintain consistency in their doctrine, they'll tell me that this passage in Exodus 28, verse 42, shows what sufficiently covers the nakedness of males. Now, there's a problem with that. And it's this. If you choose to believe that these breeches are sufficient and the only garment that is necessary to cover a man's nakedness in a general sense, then you must also say that men are allowed to wear thigh-length shorts. If you think about the shorts that some of the older basketball players would wear back in the 70s and 80s, you know, the John Stocktons and uh, people like that. I remember watching basketball when I was growing up and seeing these men wear these shorts that, I mean, they were very, very short. Men playing basketball today in the professional level don't wear shorts like that anymore, but back then they did. 
Picture that. That's basically what the priest was wearing under his robe or his tunic. And if you say that those shorts, those breeches, cover the man's nakedness in a general sense, then you must also say that men are allowed to wear those shorts, those thigh-length shorts, all alone by themselves as acceptable modest apparel. Now, I don't think that you're going to make that leap. As a matter of fact, that would go back to Genesis 3, verse 7, and be very similar to what Adam and Eve tried to cover their nakedness with to start with. And we know that that wasn't sufficient because Yahweh appointed them the katanath, or the tunic, in Genesis 3.21. Not a loincloth, not underwear, not breeches to cover their nakedness, but a katanath, or a tunic. That doesn't make sense at all. Now, my first understanding, back when I began to study this subject in 2004, my first understanding of the breeches was that they were worn by the priests at certain times, but they were never worn without a robe over top of the breeches. And in limited cases, the common people may have had a chance to get a quick glimpse of what was under the priest's robe. With the robe over top, people would not generally see underneath, but sometimes maybe the priest was on a high elevation and Yahweh did not want his nakedness, the midsection, to be seen even if people were looking up under the robe as the priest was on a high elevation. Now, I have now come to believe that there is a much better exegetical interpretation of the breaches. I don't think that the first idea that I had was even accurate back then. In Exodus 20, verse 26, the Israelites had a commandment telling them not to go up by steps to the altar of Yahweh, so that their nakedness would not be seen. So therefore, the Levite priests would not ever have to offer sacrifices in such a way as to have a common person see up under their robe in the first place. So if we look at the context of each of the passages that mention breaches, what we see is that the issue was not one of another person looking at their nakedness. That wasn't the issue. It rather dealt with coming into the presence of Yahweh and ministering before him. If you read Exodus 28, 42 through 43, and Leviticus 16, verse 4, you'll see very explicitly that the breeches were holy garments to be worn while the priests came near to the altar to minister in the holy place in the presence of Yahweh. So the breeches were not to cover their nakedness in reference to other people looking at them, but rather to cover their nakedness, that is their genital area, in the presence of Yahweh. For whatever reason, Yahweh wanted their midsection not only to be draped over with a robe, but when they came to minister before him in his presence, in his tabernacle, he wanted them to be securely covered with these breeches up underneath their robe in his presence. So what this shows us is that there are different contexts of covering nakedness in the Bible. One context deals specifically with the sexual area of a person, as is the case in 
uncovering the nakedness of your father. You remember those laws in Leviticus 18 where it talks about do not uncover your father's nakedness or do not uncover your sister's nakedness. Well, that's specifically talking about the midsection or the sexual area of a person. However, there are other places in the Bible that deal with modest apparel. In other words, out in society, in a general sense. And these are like Genesis 3.21, where it talks about Adam and Eve were given the katanath as modest apparel, or a passage like 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, where Paul writes, I would therefore that the women adorn themselves with modest clothing and decency and good sense. Someone may wish to present the case that pants were initially invented for the male gender. Now, first of all, my question would be this. Where in the world is that found in Scripture? Did the Creator invent pants for men? Or did man, humanity, invent and say that pants are just for men? Because pants did not become the common lower outer apparel for a man until the 16th to 19th centuries A.D., if you research the history of pants for men, you'll find that we do not have any scripture stating that pants or breeches were worn by men or women as appropriate modest apparel by their self. You'll find that sailors in the late 1500s, they would wear a baggy pant which could be easily rolled up when wading into the shore. And these pants also made it easy for the sailors to climb the rigging on the ships. And then around the late 1700s AD, men began to frequent breeches or something called pantaloons, and they're similar in style to the lower apparel worn by some of today's professional golfers. And these pants or these pantaloons connected to stockings at the knee, which reached down to the ankles. You'll also find that pants as we have them today became predominant only in the 1800s. And then they took complete hold for men in the 1900s. So pants, for the first 1500 years after the time of the Messiah, were not even worn by their self by men. Sure, pants were worn by men and women as undergarments with a tunic or robe over top, but never were they worn only by men, at least until the late 1500s. See, just because people think that pants are solely a man's garment does not mean that is how Yahweh considers the garment. We cannot take modern-day culture or custom and judge the scriptures by that. We should judge what we believe, and we should judge our culture and our customs today by the scriptures, and the scriptures just do not define pants as a man's garment. So the question comes to, what about Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5? What is the true interpretation of Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, where it says, A woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto Yahweh. 
Well, when we find in the Bible that men and women wore the same basic apparel, the katanith, the tunic, Genesis 3.21, then we know automatically that Deuteronomy 22 and 5 could not be prohibiting a man putting on a dress and a woman putting on a pair of pants. Think about it. Yahweh spoke through Moses in Deuteronomy 22. Moses relayed this to the children of Israel. And if Moses talked to a married couple within the Israelite camp, a man and a woman that stood before him, and he was giving them this commandment, and they were both dressed in a tunic. They both had on a robe. And he looks at them and he says, Women, do not wear that which pertaineth to a man, and man do not put on a woman's garment. He could not be talking about swapping pants for a dress. That's not the context of the original commandment. It's interesting to note when we dig deeper into Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, that the English word pertaineth, where it says a woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man, that word is in Hebrew, keli. And the number one definition given to that word in the Brown Drivers and Briggs Hebrew lexicon is this, an article, a vessel, an implement, a utensil, an article, or an object in general. When we go through the texts that use that Hebrew word keli in the Hebrew Scriptures, we begin to receive deeper insight on the passage. Our knowledge is further increased when we examine the word for man in this text. A woman shall not wear that which pertaineth to a man. That word man is the Hebrew word geber. And geber is a word in Hebrew used in reference to a man's strength or his ability to fight. The Hebrew word geber is to be contrasted with two other Hebrew words used in the book of Deuteronomy for man, and that is the word Adam and also the word Ish. These are the two words that are used for man predominantly in the Hebrew Bible. And I would like you to note that the English word man is used about 70 times in the book of Deuteronomy. But in Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, we have the only place in the whole book of Deuteronomy where the word geber is used, and it's used twice. I don't think that that should go overlooked. How is it that 70 times we see the word man used, and in all those times we have several uses of adam, a Hebrew word for man, ish, another Hebrew word for man, but the only place where geber is used is in Deuteronomy 22, verse 5. That is significant. For instance, compare Deuteronomy 22, verse 5 with 22, verse 13, where the word man is used again. See, the word man in 22 and 13 is ish. Now, this shows us that Yahweh's inspiration used two different Hebrew words in verses 5 and 13. Now we can see that Yahweh could have specifically been prohibiting the woman from wearing the utensil, the weapon, or the dress of a strong man, or shall I say a 
warrior man of Israel. In fact, this is precisely the take that one commentator gives on this passage, and his name is Adam Clark. Adam Clark was a Methodist minister in the 1800s, and on Deuteronomy 22 and 5, he writes the following, quote, Keli Geber, the instruments or arms of a man. As the word Geber is here used, which properly signifies a strong man or man of war, it is very probable that armor is here intended, especially as we know that in the worship of Venus, to which that of Astarte or Ashtaroth among the Canaanites bore a striking resemblance, the women were accustomed to appear in armor before her. It certainly cannot mean a simple change in dress, whereby the men might pass for women and vice versa. This would have been impossible in those countries where the dress of the sexes had but little to distinguish it, and where every man wore a long beard. It is, however, a very good general precept understood literally and applies particularly to those countries where the dress alone distinguishes between the male and the female. The close-shaved gentleman may at any time appear like a woman in the female dress, and the woman appear as a man in the male's attire. Were this to be tolerated in society, it would produce the greatest confusion. Clodius, who dressed himself like a woman that he might mingle with the Roman ladies in the Feast of the Bonadilla, was universally execrated. End of quote. Now, I do agree with Adam Clark that the precept in Deuteronomy is a good general precept understood literally. In other words, I do not believe in the practice of transvestites. I do not believe in men that purposefully try to look like women and women that purposefully try to look like men. I agree that that is a sin against Deuteronomy 22 and 5. However, I refuse to interpret it in such a way as to allow culture or custom to contradict the standard that Yahweh gave to man and woman in the beginning. See, Yahweh decided what was morally acceptable to cover the nakedness of man and woman. And do we think that we're more moral than our Heavenly Father? Deuteronomy 22 verse 5 would not prohibit a woman from wearing pants because you can differentiate a woman from a man even if she's only wearing pants. And biblically this is done when a woman wears the biblical long hair, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 16, and the man does not shave his beard, Leviticus 19, 27. If a man and a woman, if you take me and my wife, which often me and my wife will go out in public, both of us are wearing pants, but both of us are wearing tunics over top of our pants. We're wearing the same basic apparel, but you will never, ever mistake me for a woman. And you'll never mistake my wife for a man, because my wife has long flowing hair, and my hair is much shorter, and I also have a beard. That's the way that you distinguish us. As a matter of fact, people have asked me, well, Brother Matthew, it seems that the universal practice on the bathroom doors is dress for woman pants for man. How would you distinguish? How would you know what bathroom to go in if you did not have that symbol? And my answer is, let's use the biblical symbol. Let's put a face on one door and a face on the other door. And on the man's door, let's put a face with a beard and shorter hair. And on the woman's door, let's put a face without a beard and the long hair. 
we do see that there is a Judaite historian named Flavius Josephus that gives his take on Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, in his Antiquities of the Judahites 4.8.43, where he paraphrases the Deuteronomy passage as this, quote, Take care, especially in your battles, that no woman use the habit of a man, nor man the garment of a woman. Now, I could go on and on, and I have in a free book that I'm going to offer to you entitled Modest Apparel for Men and Women. But basically what I wanted to do tonight is, while covering the issue of modest apparel, also delve into this passage that is famous, Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, give you a deeper understanding and a proper interpretation of that text that harmonizes with the garment that Yahweh gave to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, verse 21. So if you'll listen for the contact information at the end of this broadcast, you can write me, email me, or call me, and I'll send you a free book titled Modest Apparel for Men and Women, where you can go into more study on this text as well as others. You've been listening to the Ministers of the New Covenant radio broadcast. Our website is ministersnewcovenant.org. That's ministersnewcovenant.org. Please visit our website where you will find hundreds of audio sermons as well as videos, books, and articles explaining various doctrines in the scriptural faith. For questions, you can also call 678-347-6240. That's 678-347-6240. Thanks for listening, and according to His will, may Yahweh richly bless.